take out your Bible with me as we uh, consider this morning um, what Paul has to say to us, what the Spirit says to us through Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. So Ephesians chapter 4, looking at verses 7 through 16. If you have a need for a scripture uh, Bible, uh, you can find one under the seat in front of you. And the text I'll be reading from and preaching on is found on page 918 in that Bible. Ephesians and chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading actually at verse 1. So let's begin at verse 1 and then focus on 7 through 16. There we read, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and now preaching of his word. Well, what did the ascension really accomplish? Or perhaps more personally, uh, how does the reality of the ascension influence the way that you and I live our everyday lives? What impact does the fact that Jesus ascended have in the way that we respond, for example, to suffering? How does the ascension influence our relationships? How does it affect our prayers? When is the last time, for example, uh, that when you were having a really, really bad day, you thought, well, at least Jesus ascended into heaven? You see, most of us understand that this doctrine, this event is important biblically and theologically, 
Or at least, at the very least, we, we know that it's one of those doctrines we probably shouldn't play around with. It is, after all, in the Apostles' Creed. We confess he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But I'm not sure how many of us, myself included, are very good at connecting its reality to how we live in the here and the now. Maybe another way of of putting it is, if Jesus had not ascended into heaven, what difference would that make in your life? Well, maybe you're wondering why the emphasis on the ascension. This Thursday is officially Ascension Day. Forty days after Jesus' sin-defeating, death-destroying, Satan-crushing resurrection from the dead. Literally, boys and girls, Jesus went up, away from the disciples, to the Father's right hand, promising one day to come back again. But why does that matter? Is it more than just a geographical event? He was here and he had to get back there. Well, it's far more than that. And there's a lot of different places in Scripture we could go to, but but the one I've chosen is this portion in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church in chapter 4, where he unpacks for us just one of the many blessings of the fact that Jesus ascended into heaven. And the blessing that he gives in this text is not just for us as individuals, but it is for us as the body of Christ. In this great event, the ascension, Jesus poured out a diversity of particular gifts upon his body, the church, the result of which is, I think, staggering. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's begin by considering the giver, the giver who gives the gifts. Who's the giver? The giver is the ascended Lord Jesus. Uh, Look with me at verses 7 and 8. Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and he quotes, or at least he references Psalm 68, 18, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Here's what's interesting about Paul's use of Psalm 68. In Psalm 68, it actually says that God, when he ascended the mountain, that is ultimately Mount Zion, he received gifts from men, not the other way around. But here, the apostle explicitly applies Psalm 68 to Jesus and says not that Jesus received gifts, but that Jesus, in fact, gave them, that he distributed them. So what's going on there? Is the apostle engaged in hermeneutical gymnastics? Well, in the ancient world, whenever a king conquered a people, the victorious conqueror would receive the spoil from the vanquished foe. But he, in receiving the spoil, would often also give that good away, that spoil away to his own people. Often the victorious king would ride through the streets and the people would hail him for his success even as the king lavished them with the gifts that he received in his victory. And that's exactly what Paul is saying happened when Jesus ascended. We'll flesh that out in a moment, but 
before that, notice what Paul fleshes out, the ascension itself. In verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, that is, the earth. Verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that Jesus, he might fill all things. Jesus went lower than anyone has gone and he is higher than any man will ever be at the right hand of the Father. Many of us are familiar with that great passage in Philippians in chapter 2 saying this of Jesus, that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, because he did that, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, the ascension comes against the backdrop of his condescension both in his incarnation and especially his crucifixion. That is the one who gives, the one who has given his very life. And in one sense, his ascension marks the completion of that mission. It's, it's saying to us that all that the Father sent the Son to do and to accomplish has been fulfilled. And in another sense, the ascension back into heaven is simply marking for us the continuation of Jesus' ministry on our behalf. In what sense? He's already gone to the tree. He's already been raised from the dead. Now in the sense that he rules over our lives. In the sense that he ever lives, Hebrews says, to make intercession for us. And in the sense that we unpack this morning, namely, in the distribution of gifts to his church. Is that your view of Jesus, one who keeps on giving and ministering and serving? I think so often we think of Jesus' ministry as 100% almost past tense, when nothing could be further from the truth. Today, now, he is serving you and us and ministering on our behalf as the coronated King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The giver is Jesus who descended and ascended. But what gifts does he give? That's what Paul goes on to answer. Secondly, the gifts that this giver graciously, generously, lavishly gives. Well, Peter in his sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 summarizes the gift like this. Acts 2.33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In other words, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Jesus in his ascension has, has received the gift of the Spirit and has poured it out. 
just as Jesus promised. Remember John 15 and 16, where Jesus told the disciples in their confusion that he must go away and leave them, for if he did not depart, he could not send the Holy Spirit, who is everywhere present and actually literally indwells his people by his presence. Yet, in our passage, Paul, here in Ephesians 4, does not mention the Spirit when he talks about the gifts that Jesus distributes. Instead, he puts it like this. Look with me at verse 11 of our passage. And he gave, that is, the ascended Lord, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Christ commissioned spirit-filled leaders. In other words, are part of the gift that Jesus distributed when he ascended back into heaven. In fact, uh, the church is built, Paul says in Ephesians 2.20, upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And included in this list are pastors called to preach the gospel and teach the word. Jesus, in his great kindness, has not left us to ourselves, uh, but has, in his wisdom, furnished his church with men who are called and set apart and trained and equipped and spirit-filled who can teach us what his word means and who his word reveals, namely, Christ and the redemption that he accomplished. Notice there's a lot more here in Ephesians chapter 4. And notice what Paul goes on to say is the job description in some measure for what leaders are called to do. Verse 12. These leaders are given by the ascended Christ to do what? To equip who? The saints. Who are the saints? The saints are the ones who believe in Jesus Christ, who have the Holy Spirit. Leaders are called to equip the saints for the what? Work of ministry. Well, what does that work of ministry include? For building up the body of Christ. That's your ministry. In other words, Christ and his goodness has given leaders to teach you the Bible, to equip you so that you can minister to the building up of the body of Christ. The church will only be healthy when every member of the body is doing his or her part. That is, looking for needs, using their gifts as pastors and teachers feed the word. The context is verses 1 through 6, of course, which we've read, emphasizing the great unity of the church, the great oneness of the church. But notice, this is how unity and oneness is strengthened, not when the leadership does all the work or when every person is exactly the same, but when God, when Christ unleashes the diversity of gifts within the body. That's the key. The truth of the matter is that none of us have every single spiritual gift And we're not wired in exactly the same way. But together, or as Paul says it down in verse 16, when each part is working properly, that's when unity is strengthened and maturity is gained. Let me try to unpack this a bit in terms of the relationship between uh, the pastor and elder and the congregation. I came across a quote this week from John Stott. 
And I think uh, he says it best when he writes. The New Testament concept of the pastor is not of a person who jealously guards all ministry in his own hands and successfully squashes all lay initiatives, but of one who helps and encourages all God's people to discover, develop, and exercise their gifts. His teaching and training are directed to this end to enable the people of God to be a servant people, ministering actively but humbly according to their gifts in a world of alienation and pain. Thus, instead of monopolizing all ministry himself, he actually multiplies ministry. That's a great job description for a pastor to feed you Christ so that you come each Lord's Day to worship God and your souls are refreshed and your hearts are by God's grace reignited and re-inflamed to minister wherever God has placed you, whatever that looks like within the local church and even outside of the local church context, to both notice needs and to steward your gifts. Now, the Reformation in the 16th century simply referred to this as the priesthood of all believers. That every single follower of Jesus, every spirit-filled Christian, regardless of age or background or position, has both the privilege and, listen to me carefully, the authority to minister God's word to the body. Every single follower of Jesus Christ has both the privilege and responsibility and the authority to bring God's word to bear in each other's lives. And so the, 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 the preaching feeds the sheep because if you're like me, you're weary and hungry and thirsty and tired and And so you come to church, I hope and I pray, longing to hear Jesus again and again and again. To what end? Not simply so that we can check off that box, but so that we can minister one to another so that we all have a ministry Stott adds this, here is incontrovertible evidence that the New Testament envisions ministry not as the prerogative of a clerical elite, but as the privileged calling of all the people of God. So what if, hypothetically speaking, the leadership at Grace Fellowship was doing really good work and doing all of the work? There's faithful teaching, there's faithful shepherding, there's faithful discipleship. But the body wasn't empowered and equipped to minister. Would that be a healthy church? Not according to the Apostle Paul. He would say a sound church, a healthy church, a maturing church is one in which every single person is engaged and involved and equipped and empowered to minister. To minister. The New Testament bears this out in several places. I want to just offer two examples. The first from Peter's letter, chapter 4, his first letter, chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. 
in many ways, Peter's general, and I, and I think there's something to that. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Don't get paralyzed by trying to figure out what your particular gift is. Look for the needs. Don't get paralyzed in trying to figure out, well, he says I have a gift, I'm supposed to use my gift, but I don't know what my gift is, therefore I'm not going to get involved. No, get involved by looking for needs, and as you see needs, the Lord and his providence and wisdom often connects those two things together. All of a sudden you begin to see, well, I think I'm actually pretty good at this, and then, and then, do, and then do that. I love how Peter says, whoever serves. Well, that encapsulates a lot of things. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. You are called to serve by using your time, talents, energies, and gifts to bless others. Or uh, one other example, 1 Corinthians 12, another well-known portion in God's word where this is developed 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, listen to what Paul says there. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. This is God's doing. This is God's undertaking. This is God's initiative. This is not some cleverness. God, it says by Paul, arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So we're both equally needy and needed, Ed Welp says. You're needy. You, in other words, need... God's word, but you also need the gifts of the body. You need to see this. Sometimes in our stubbornness, we're always the one thinking we're supposed to serve. We can't expose ourselves as being needy. No, 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 no. That's not healthy. We're all needy. We all need the body. None of us have arrived. None of us are without needs but we're all needed as well. What a wonderful thing. God has wired you as an individual and given you your story with all of your unique set of lenses and experiences and temperaments and gifts with which to minister to others in ways that if you're willing to be used will probably surprise and amaze you how the Lord can, can pair these things together. If you're willing, if you're 
prayerful and saying, Lord, use me. I don't know what my gifts exactly are, but I want to be useful to your church. Would you please allow me to see needs and then use me to meet a need today? That's a prayer that Jesus loves to answer. So let's be willing. And here's what's so amazing. This is the gift that keeps on giving. It's not as if Jesus just gave gifts once and for all when he ascended and then was done, but he keeps on giving. He keeps on distributing. He keeps on lavishing. When? When born again, spirit-filled men and women and boys and girls are added to the church. He gives from heaven to us. Well, if the giver is the ascended Jesus and the gifts are spirit-filled people, both leaders and people willing to use those gifts, then what is finally the big, audacious, overarching goal? In other words, what is Jesus after in these things? And there's a whole series here, but let me just try to wrap this up. Look with me at verse 13. Until we... Notice, not some or not just the leaders, but until we all attain to the unity of of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, that sounds like a lifelong project to me. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that... It builds itself up in love. There there is so much there. This takes patience. This takes forbearance. This takes forgiveness. This takes humility, as Paul says earlier, and gentleness, as he says elsewhere, and a culture of a church, people wholeheartedly committed to this mission to make together disciples of Jesus who worship the Savior who walk with each other, who witness to the lost, all by the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus. Now, maybe I'm biased. I am biased. But is there anything more exciting to be a part of? than to see the risen and reigning Jesus Christ choose to love us so much that he would give us a church family where we could both be needy and receive and also see the needs of others and use our gifts in this glorious partnership of being conformed to the image of Jesus, all by his power, all by his doing, all by his initiative, and all by his strength. That is what we get to do and be a part of in the church, where Jesus, the ascended King of Kings, gifts us with those who are called 
to then equip the saints for the work of ministry. Well, when we're engaged in something like that, I don't think there's anything better because God is at work. So let's pray to that end that God would continue to help us to grow in every member ministering to the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, Jesus' ascension means more than a change in location, but that his ascension unleashes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is then seen in the variety of gifts that you have given to your church in individual people. Lord, every single person here today is important, and, uh, and you've called, Lord, in their own way, and that's going to look different. Father, for different, different people, different stages, different gifts and abilities. But Lord, how wonderful it is when we get to be on the, the front lines of seeing all the ways that you are loving us through the body of Christ. And we give you all the praise, Lord. So please, help us then to walk in faith and to see that this is not just the job of a few, but this is the privilege of the whole. And Lord, thank you for our uniquenesses. Thank you for our individualities. Thank you, Lord, that not not two of us are exactly the same. Thank you, Lord, that we are limited and have weaknesses because in those weaknesses we see both the strength of Jesus but also the body of Christ at work. So, Lord, continue your work for Jesus' sake. Amen.